It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Well, Sean, in many ways, this was the most severe penalty that this particular judge has ever given to a juvenile defendant. The juvenile defendant, whose name we are not reporting because of his age, was found guilty on all four charges against him for sexually assaulting two different female classmates inside two different Loudoun County high schools last year. Now, the juvenile is not going to go to jail, but he will be sent and live at a locked residential treatment facility where he will undergo rehabilitation and therapy until his 18th birthday. He is ordered to have no contact with the victims nor their families. And he also has to register as a sex offender. And this is the particularly interesting part of this sentencing today because the judge told the courtroom that leading up to the sentencing today, the defendant had to go undergo a psychological evaluation and what's called a psychological sexual evaluation. The judge told the courtroom that unfortunately the court does hear a lot more of these cases than and the public probably realizes. So they review countless sexual uh, evaluations leading up to these types of sentencing. And she said, despite all of the psychological sexual evaluations that she'd reviewed, she looked right at the defendant and she said, this one frightens me. It should frighten you. It should frighten families. She said it should frighten society. She told the courtroom that she has never ordered a juvenile to register as a sex offender, but in this case, she is. And what's more here, Sean, she said after reviewing that report, she's realizing that there is a third sexual assault victim who has not yet come forward. All right, that was NBC4 in Washington, D.C., and that was on Loudoun County. You remember that incident where there was a big school board meeting. Anybody remember? There were several of them, and there was one night when a dad was arrested. We saw pictures of him being handcuffed. He was on the floor. He was uh, you know, trying to get the members of the school board to listen to him, and they you know, took him down and arrested him. In fact, I would just say that the uh, I have an art, article here that someone sent me. There was this was the New York Times reported this back in October, and this is their headline: "The Right's Big Lie About a Sexual Assault in Virginia." Now, let me just be so you don't have to stop start trying to figure out. Keep trying to figure out what I'm talking about. This is where a boy in a dress or a skirt went into a, a girl's bathroom and raped a girl. And the guy that was arrested that was like this domestic terrorist dad was her father. And he'd gone to the school, actually, to report it uh, some days before, and he'd been arrested there. It's just a... Uh, but the New York Times, uh, the right's big lie about sexual assault in Virginia. This is a story about how the right twisted the sexual assault of a teenager into a culture war fantasy. It's about how a distorted tale on a conservative website became grist for a nationwide moral panic. On June 22nd, a middle-aged plumber named Scott Smith was dragged, lip-bleeding and hands cuffed behind his back from a raucous school board meeting in Loudoun County, Virginia. 
According to the local newspaper, he'd been swearing loudly at another parent and leaning toward her with a clenched fist when the police tackled him and pulled him outside. He'd eventually be convicted of disorderly conduct and resisting arrest and given a suspended 10-day jail sentence. Smith's image quickly went viral as a symbol of the sort of school board strife breaking out all over America. Uh, So then the National School Board Association writing to President Biden to request help dealing with the growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation directed at school board members included Smith's arrest and a list of examples. And then it goes on and says, it talks about the Daily Wire, who Luke Rosiak, who's been on this show many times, broke that story, wrote a piece, and that went, you know, really did go viral. Luke did a great job on that. Uh, So uh, New York Times says Smith became a symbol of a different kind, a blue-collar martyr to wokeness. And it goes on to snidingly, that's my adjective, um, report his appearance on Tucker Carlson. And then they talk about how it bled over into the Virginia gubernatorial race and how uh, Glenn Youngkin used it as a rallying cry and how twisted this all was, they said. Because uh, they go in and they make their case that really it had nothing to do with transgenderism at all. This is the fact that the boy had the skirt on. It had nothing to do with this. And this is a horrible, awful, no good attack against um, that community, transsexuals. And so the the final word uh, line here is a sad and complicated truth is probably no match for an exquisitely useful lie. So that was their article October 28, 2021. I wonder what they'll print today because today... As you just heard, the judge has sentenced this young man to a lifetime on the sexual offense registry, saying that she has never, ever seen. It's the most disturbing thing she's ever seen, looking into his psychological evaluation and the things that he did. And she said to him, you scare me. All right, so that's uh, that's the fate of that rapist. And, well, it'd be interesting. You know, Loudoun County is going to respond. I can, I'm guessing they're going to require, uh, they're going to require, the people of the of the school board and also those that run that school to answer for this, resign, answer for it, something. Because one of the things that a friend sent me this morning is that the report conducted by the Loudoun County School Board on how this was handled is not being released because of attorney-client privilege. So you can't know. You can't know. The people of Virginia cannot know, and those parents cannot know, based on this court decision, uh, what uh, how Loudoun County School Board handled this. And so... I have a feeling the parents over there will not be quiet about that. And um, on along with that, in the Senate, I played a clip or so of this yesterday, but I want to go back to it because uh, in this hearing before the Judiciary Committee, and there were several people there asking questions, but Tom Cotton and Ted Cruz most notably asked some really great questions, and the FBI was there and also the DOJ. So now let me put this in context. Uh, The Department of Justice is standing up a new domestic terrorism unit to thwart the growing threat in the U.S. Matthew Olson, head of the DOJ's National Security Division, told the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee on Tuesday, this group of dedicated attorneys will focus on the domestic terrorism threat, helping to ensure that these cases are handled properly and effectively coordinated across the Department of Justice and across this country. That was his opening statement and then he said, from 2016 to 2019, the annual number of domestic terrorist suspects arrested fell from 229 to 107, before jumping to 180 in 2020. Now, I wonder why domestic terrorists' arrests jumped to 2020, uh, jumped to 180 in 2020. I, I, what was going on? Oh, 
well, there was a, a political campaign, a presidential campaign. There was Antifa and Black Lives Matter. But, of course, this particular Justice Department is not going after them. But Christopher Wray announced that he has more than tripled the number of agents and analysts working on domestic terrorism cases in order to handle the rapidly growing caseload. All right, so along with this, we learned, which I don't even think I had a chance to mention this week, that we now know that the Education Secretary and the White House colluded uh, with uh, this outside group to send a letter to the DOJ and FBI to sick them on political opponents. Uh, and so, and that would be like Mr. Scott Smith, the plumber, who whose daughter was raped in that bathroom. All right, so I wanted you to hear, uh, just to drive this point home, so this is Senator Cotton uh, interrogating, no, questioning, we'll make it nicer, Matthew Olson, the head of the DOJ's National Security Division. This happened two days ago. Let's listen to it. Mr. Olson, on January 6, 2021, did the Department of Justice or FBI have any plainclothes officers among the crowd at the Capitol? Senator, I'm not uh, aware of whether or not there were uh, plainclothes officers in, 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 in among the crowd uh, at the Capitol on, Janu- on, July 6, on January 6th. Did any plainclothes officers enter the Capitol on January 6th? I don't know the answer to that, Senator. Um, Mr. Olson, i got to say your answers to many questions today are disappointing because they boil down to essentially I don't know. Did you prepare for this hearing? Did you know this hearing was happening before this morning? The direct answer, yes, I I prepared extensively, Senator. Many of the questions are about specific specific facts that I don't have. Well, uh, I mean, let me – what was the – I I do think that one of the most important points that I would emphasize is, um, you know, as against a general general matter, it's not appropriate to comment on ongoing investigations. Well, I'm not. I didn't ask you about an ongoing investigation. I I just flipped to the cover of my binder here. It says the title of this hearing is the domestic terrorism threat one year after January 6th. The attorney general has repeatedly said this is one of the department's highest priority. You're testifying at a hearing about the domestic terrorism threat one year after January 6th, and you can't answer questions about how many people have been charged for events arising out of January 6th. Would, would you go into a briefing with the attorney general, your boss, and not be able to answer such basic questions? On the last question you asked, Senator, uh, over 700 people have been charged in connection with January 6th. Mr. Olson, who is Ray Epps, and why was he removed from the FBI's most wanted list? Senator, I don't have any information about that individual. Um, I would defer to, to Ms. Sanborn for any additional. So, but so, okay. So this is it gets back to what I, I meant earlier, like asking if you prepared for this hearing. You're the Assistant Attorney General for National Security. You run the National Security Division. The department has said that these January 6 prosecutions are one of their highest priorities. This is a man who was on the most wanted page for six months. Do you really expect us to believe that you've never heard of the name Ray Epps? You don't know anything about him? I simply don't have any information at all, uh, Senator, about that individual. Can you name anyone else on the Department of Justice's most wanted page from the January 6th riots? I'm not familiar with the most wanted page. No, I'm not familiar with that. All right. Well, I guess we're going to have to seek our answers elsewhere, but this has not been a stellar performance today. Yeah, okay. So, and the reason I played that, I know he was talking about January 6th, but the whole, the category is domestic terrorism. And that's what Matthew Olson is going to be in charge of. And those are the answers he gave uh, to Senator uh, Cotton in that hearing just a couple of days ago. So these are the people now that are handling, uh, you know, parents in Loudoun County, parents uh, in other counties around the country. We're going to be hearing more about that. That's not going to go away. Um, So it's just... um, 
another travesty, something we have to fight back, and that's what we're doing. And parents around the country are going to have to really be strong, uh, to stand strong against this. And some of them are going to be arrested. Some of them are going to be harassed on social media. I, I don't know. There's going to be a price to pay, but someone has to pay a price. Someone has to pay a price. It reminds me of Jesus, doesn't it? That the only way that sin could be uh, paid for was that somebody paid a price. And it's kind of the same thing. Someone has to pay here, lay down, put, put some skin in the game. Our founding fathers had to put skin in the game. They said, Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. The founding fathers, you know, were very, they're incredible men as you read their biographies. But most of them lost so much in fighting to give us a free country. They lost their property. They were, many of them lost their health. They missed time, months and months and years with their families. All the privileges of life they gave up in order to establish a free place for us to live. And so this is, the, this is our time. And we have been so coddled. And I'm right there with you. Lived such a great, uh, a, a, a wonderful life. Now, some of our own decisions have caused life not to be so good. But for the most part, I think we've been given a platform upon which if we had made good decisions, we could have had a wonderful life and a free life because of what our parents, even our, the generation my father, going to World War II and fighting when he was 19. You know, so uh, it's time. It's time for us. It's time for us. This is our generation and our chance to save this republic. And I know many of you are already doing that. I want to mention briefly some very, <clears throat> excuse me, some important things. Uh, Biden's approval rating has dropped to 33%. <clears throat> I haven't got time to break that down, but <clears throat> let me just say part of it. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> part of it must be that many of you are going into grocery stores and seeing empty shelves. Empty shelves because of the COVID shutdowns, people, you know, because of the protocols. Uh, and then inflation has jumped 7%. Groceries are so expensive. And now the government, uh, the Democrats, have been giving people these checks to stay home, child credits, and they're going to be stopping because they've not been able to pass those big trillion, trillion upon trillion, trillion dollar bills. And so um, let me just say this. Uh, maybe that will mean there'll be more people back in the workforce and we can get our economy back together because people will be going back to work. I have an incredible story to tell you out of Israel, among other things. So stay tuned. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. You know, if you feel like you're stuck with a health care plan that isn't affordable or you simply don't like it, right now is a great time to switch to MediShare. The typical family saves $500 or more per month with MediShare. And what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate when compared to health insurance. Double. You get access to a massive network of providers and 24-7 telehealth. And MediShare is the most trusted name in healthcare sharing. It's been around for more than 25 years, and it's more than just affordable healthcare, too. You get to be part of a community of Christians who pray for each other and support each other. But here's why now is the time to make the switch. Join before January 15th, and they'll waive your new member fee. So you'll save another $170 right off the bat. Call now. You'll get a price within two minutes. And again, the deadline is January 15th, so you can save even more. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. 
Today, we pray for Christopher Tuttle, Chief Financial Officer for the Federal Financing Bank. Mr. Tuttle leads the corporation that handles federal budget management issues for the United States. Psalm 24.1 reminds us of why it's important that we be good stewards. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask you to guide Christopher Tuttle that he may serve as a good steward for our country. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. Available now at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starr and stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting "Go Visit" to the number 49596. Again, that's "Go Visit" to the number 49596. The other day, I went shopping for a new dining room table. Five furniture stores and no tables. Supply chain issues, that's what they said. Estimated time of delivery, three months from now. So I decided to go online, but the same story there, too. It's odd because the cable news channels say there is no supply chain problem. The White House tells us every day stores are filled with all sorts of products. But local television reporters are not buying what the White House is selling. Broadcasting videos of angry customers, empty store shelves around the nation. The bare shelves Biden hashtag is actually trending on social media. So maybe it's okay that I can't find a dining room table. Because if the supply chain crisis gets any worse, I might not have any food to put on the table. Not only does Emperor Biden have no clothes, he's got no food. I'm Todd Starnes. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. I think almost everyone would tell you that what happened on January 6th here was a terrible thing. It should never have happened, and it should never happen again. But I don't care how many candlelight vigils and musical performances you have from the cast of Hamilton, you're not going to convince at least more, most normal and sane people that our government last year was almost overthrown by a guy wearing a Viking hat and Speedos. <laughs> that was Senator Marco Rubio. I rarely play a clip from him because I'm very disappointed in him. But that was good. And let me just say, uh, the reason that's, uh, that was funny uh, and the reason that was good is because I do think... Um, Hang on a second. I do think that uh, members of Congress, and now we're kind of making inroads into the Senate, are beginning to wake up uh, to what happened on January the 6th. And that's the first time I've heard, not that he, I don't know if he said something before. I haven't heard it before, but that's uh, the first time I've heard Marco Rubio say something like that. And then, of course, Senator Ted Cruz is waking up, too. Some of us were able to meet with him yesterday, and, you know, he's been, um, he's been receiving briefings, and we're hoping that he's going to get involved in this. I think you have to understand that these guys were in the in the Senate chamber, or maybe it was the House chamber, uh, and they were trying. Some of them, the one, the good guys, to me, my definition, were trying to make sure that the votes uh, for those that we they felt were improperly cast, the electoral votes were stopped. They were doing it through the uh, course of the constitutional process. And when 
there in the chamber, and all of a sudden they hear this noise and this shouting and breaking of glass and whatever it was they were able to hear. Uh, it shut down the process completely, and it's so soured, you know, McConnell and other leadership, and they were so angry with those pro- Trump supporters for ruining, really, what they felt was something they could accomplish in that chamber, at least they hoped to. So that that was their perspective. But, you know, anytime you're in a story, like if you are ever in an automobile accident or in, you witness a robbery or you get robbed, your perspective is just a tiny microcosm of the story. And so I think we've had to get past the personal trauma of congressmen and senators uh, and their personal hurt feelings and upset and rightful. Uh, dis- oh, I remember being so disheartened that the process then was sort of poisoned, the process to try to stop these uh, wrongfully declared electoral votes from these you know, these various states and it just it just poisoned the process, and that was very disappointing. But it, I don't. The, the difference is that as we see the whole story, at least as much as we can know now, we can see that it was orchestrated not by Trump supporters, but obviously, I think by a combination of the FBI. I also somebody sent me another video this morning to watch, and it look, there's a guy inside the Capitol. There's so many videos to watch. I'm not going to post this one, but um, he's telling he's pulling people in the door. Come on, come in, come in, come in right now. And uh, about uh, he's, he's pulled in, I don't know, maybe 10 people, and a lot of them have their faces fully covered, which seems strange to me. But I just that, okay, maybe there's an explanation. It was cold that day. But then uh, one comes in, and he's dressed in totally black, and he has a completely white covering over his face that looks like a theater mask. You know, I think we've seen these like a, uh, a clown sort of. It, it didn't have a clown mouth, but it was like plastic covering his face. That, that looked very much like Antifa to me. And so how will we know if the FBI and the Justice Department don't, uh, they don't view, you know, Antifa is an idea, says uh, Christopher Ray. It's uh, not, you know, a violent group. There's, we just can't figure out, you know, what's happening with them. So we have to go over, you know, school, go after school board parents and Trump supporters carrying flags who went into the Capitol. So that's what they're doing. All right, I want a couple of email from, we're just getting some great, just great comments. I'm going to get in as many as I can. Uh, Sandy at AFR.net is where you can make your comments now. Facebook is probably not uh, the best place because of because you know why. Sandy at AFR.net. And I want to remind you that you can find us now. We'll, we're going to stay on these other social media uh, platforms. I am amending my announcement of a couple of days ago. But we are, I think, primarily I'm going to look to Getter, G-E-T-T-R. Uh, so if you really want to, if, if you could join Getter, we're going to post our articles there. We'll try to post them on those other outlets too, but it'd be good if we'd all just kind of congregate somewhere. Um, and then we'll find out, Getter, who knows, you know, this is an ever-moving process. So we're going to post the stuff from today on Getter and on a couple of outlets like Parler and because of thousands of you follow me on Parler. So we'll do that. And we'll try to keep up with what we had originally, but we're going to add Getter as probably our go-to source so they will not take us off the platform we trust. All right, this is from uh, Mary. And she said, um, I'm a longtime listener. uh, And she said, um, I went to a vigil in New Braunfels. Now, I don't know where New Braunfels is. I don't know where where she is. Um, She said, just letting you know, longtime listener, I went to a vigil in New Braunfels because of your awareness to this grave injustice, I met three people who went to the rally. One had his house raided by the FBI. One was pepper sprayed at the rally. One is being sued by the Biden team for being on the Trump train, flying her Trump flag too close to a Biden bus. 
and the last young lady has already spent $200,000 to defend her freedom of speech. About 15 people showed up. It was a very patriotic event. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Mary, thanks for telling me that. I think that's very moving. Really, I'm going to send that to Matt Brainerd so that he, so that he, uh, oh, I guess that's in Texas. So thank you. That's in Texas. So I'm going to send that to Matt so that he can have some insight into some of you who were there that he didn't know about. And this is from, um, this is from Teresa. She passed along a, a letter from Jenna. It's uh, Jennifer Lee Ryan. I think Jennifer is the uh, realtor who's been in prison, and I, I, I wish I were up to date on her. I think she was supposed to be sentenced or put in jail maybe a week or so ago, and I'm sorry to be sloppy with that information, but I, I just haven't been able to keep track of all that. And so uh, she writes this beautiful letter in a beautiful hand. She says, I'm having a very rough time in federal prison. Yes, she was sent to prison. It is, it is This is the realtor that was reported about 10 days ago. I'm having a very rough time in federal prison. We are being kept in quarantine in a freezing cold room 24-7 with no contact with the outside except for mail. No recreation. They're trying to keep it cold to keep COVID out. I have to be in here for 14 days if I get the vaccine, but I'm refusing, so I have to be in here for 24, 21 days. I'm enduring this hardship. It is difficult. I have vertigo. The walls are closing in and the room is spinning. It is crazy to put non-violent offenders in prison for misdemeanor. Everyone in here is in for one year or more for drug crimes and illegals. Anyway, God is good and I'm praising him through this storm. I've been in here for 12 days, hoping to get out of quarantine on January the 6th or the 10th. Please pray that I get out of quarantine. I appreciate appreciate you and love the scriptures. COVID makes prison a thousand times worth worse. Sadistic people run this place. God is in control. People like you make this a bit more tolerable. She says there are many PS. There are many uh, nice women here, about sixteen, and some great guards too. The icy cold fifty-five degree room I am in is cruel and unusual punishment. The food is very good. And then her email is. Um, I'm going to give you her email. It's a J-E-N-N-A-R-Y-A-N, Jenna Ryan Realty, J-E-N-N-A-R-Y-A-N Realty at gmail.com in case you want to write her. And so um, so thank you for sending that, Teresa, and we certainly want to pray for her. And though while those of us, I say, sometimes I said yesterday in an op- opening prayer to a group that we are, we remain free, and I'm grateful, but that's not true of all of us. Some of us are already paying this very heavy price, and we need to do our best to lift them up and to help them because, um, you know, we uh, we carry them, and then later they carry us. That's the way the body of Christ works. This is uh, from, oh, there's so much to tell you. I have to make a judgment here. I, I want to tell you, I want to skip to this. Uh, the, the Supreme Court is supposed to make their announcement on mandates this morning, I think around 10 or 11. And uh, this is an interesting back and forth with uh, Mike Davis. Mike is a... Um, Mike is a long. Uh, he's been on Capitol Hill for a number of times. He worked for the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's the one who uh, shepherded through Brett Kavanaugh in his um, uh, con- uh, his confirmation. So uh, he's responding to uh, Sean Marotta, who says, "I really don't understand why Justice Gorsuch won't mask on the bench. Even if you think it's all hysteria, I would think respect for a colleague who is vulnerable and with whom you share a unique calling would warrant it." Mike Davis responds, "All justices are vaccinated and boosted." They test regularly, including before court arguments. All advocates are tested before entry. Court updated is its fil- the court updated its air filtration system. Eight justices didn't wear masks 
before last Friday. But respect, even if hysteria. And so, and then just follow up that. Um, Mike asked this question. Well, he says suddenly on uh, on Friday, the judges wear the justices wear masks. It puts off the appearance of playing politics. And when will Covidians stop calling Gorsuch sacrilegious to the COVID gods for refusing to wear his religious veil? And when does this court COVID theater end? I think it was well, I just had to stop and tell you that because I thought that was really well said by Mike Davis. Okay, so uh, moving right along quickly, if I can, there's a, there's a great, that's the wrong adjective. There is a horrific story coming out of Canada. And I, I'll tell you the story as briefly as I can, then I want you to hear the, hear the video. Ronald McDonald House. Uh, in uh, now, I got to see if this is in Vancouver. I, I'm ju- I just got this article right before I went on the air, so I'm sorry. I don't. Uh, I, I'll have to just kind of make some mistakes here. But basically, it's a child who has leukemia who's in this Ronald McDonald house, and I think he's seven, but I'm unclear on that too. We'll we'll hear it in the video in a second. But they they've, they've uh, just passed a policy that unless the child is vaccinated, this little boy, unless he's vaccinated, he has to leave. And so the father reads, he finds this out, this policy, and he then goes to confront the people at the Ronald McDonald Clinic. Let's listen to the interaction. So this is a piece of paper. Can Lindsay zoom in on it? This is an eviction notice, I believe, to anybody older than five who's not vaccinated is getting evicted from Ronald McDonald House. So I'm just going to go talk to the people at the counter and see if it's legit now. Um, do you have like a, a manager here or somebody that can talk to you? Hey. Well, I'm just asking, like, like we got this last night. And, yes. Uh, it's just pretty disturbing. I'm just wondering, is this, legit? Is this yeah. saying that like everybody who's not vaccinated is getting evicted? Well, we have a grace period to which you can uh, get your first dose. Yeah. But essentially, as of January 17th, it's a board mandate from our. From our so I just want to get this straight. So by the end of the month. My four-year-old boy with leukemia is getting evicted because we don't have a vaccine. The parents. This is, if he was six months old, he would be getting evicted. But yeah, because we don't have the vaccine, you're going to throw us on the snow with a few weeks notice. Like, this is some kind of crazy evil. Like, I have never seen in my life. It doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. Everybody knows you still have to wear the mask. Because you can go out and catch COVID, transmit it, and bring it back in. That's why vaccinated people have to wear masks, though, so it doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. Just, like, the idea is to make people safer. This isn't about safety. This is, this is coercing people to get a vaccine, choosing between their children and their own beliefs, whether it's religious beliefs, whether they're present to get a vaccine. My kid has gone all his vaccines. We're not anti vaccines. This is absolutely an abomination. Say that, so just let me get this clear. Are you both of you vaccinated? No. Okay. So what we're doing is protecting the safety of everybody in the house. No, you're not. Because a vaccinated person can still get it and transmit it. That's right. And so what we're trying to do is reduce the risks to the entire That doesn't make sense. Your conscience is seared. You understand? This is absolutely evil. So do you want me to... You're evicting kids with leukemia. Kids who have strokes. Yeah, so that's the interaction with the dad. And you notice she doesn't deny that people who've been vaxxed uh, are getting the, the virus. She doesn't deny that, but still you have to get out. Her son, his son is four. 
This is an article we'll put on our uh, we'll put on Getter and all um, and we'll put on other outlets too. But go to Getter. I'm uh, hoping that you'll sign up and do that so we can make this happen efficiently. But Ronald McDonald House to implement mandatory vaccine policy, and that reminds me of a story that is in my hands right here, and that is um, fully vaccinated Australians in hospital with COVID nineteen surpass the unvaccinated. And as you get into the numbers here, it's not by a little; it's by a lot. Data published by the NSW's government COVID-19 critical intelligence unit has revealed that as of January 9th, 68.9% of COVID-19 patients aged 12 and over in hospitals had two doses of the vaccine, with 28.8% unvaccinated. 68.9% of them were vaccinated and 28% were unvaccinated. So um, it's really, uh, it is absolutely a punitive and uh, horrible what they're doing. And that brings me to, I just want to say a word about this. Deborah Doster, of course, we told her story last week. Uh, she's waiting for this kidney transplant. It's been taken off the uh, the, the donor list at uh, Vander, uh, Vanderbilt because she, in Nashville, Tennessee, because she doesn't hasn't taken the vaccine. We tracked the whole details of this. If you want to listen, go back to last week to the story. I think it was last Tuesday. And you can hear her full story. Uh, and it and we still don't at this point. It looks like Vanderbilt is just doubling down. So those of you in that area, and those of you who listen to AFA, I, it's time for more calls. Say like Deborah Doster, D E B R A D O S T E R. I don't know what you're going to say. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I would just say, uh, you know, what are you thinking? This is not science. Vaccinated people are getting the virus. So in other words, if you give Deborah Doster this kidney, for which she has someone who's donated a kidney that's a match, if you let her have this kidney, um, she has a chance of, you know, being perfectly healthy and just because she's not vaccinated as people who are vaccinated. And now I'm not breaking down the stats. Perhaps there's an argument on the, you know, how you break that down. But I think in the long run, you're going to see there isn't much difference. And that uh, brings me to this next story, which I want to make time for. This was sent to me from Italy. In fact, um, from a contact in Italy who watches, in fact, I should just tell you, it's Soren Kern, who was my guest last Friday on what's happening around the world uh, with, the, with the COVID and the vaccines. It was a fascinating interview. I enjoyed that. And uh, so he sent this to me from a friend of his who's an Israeli. And this is, um, and another friend sent me this this morning also. So, but it's not widely, I don't think it's been widely distributed yet. So let's just go for it. It's from the Swiss Policy Research. Swiss Policy Research. Professor Ehud Kimron, Ministry of Health. It's time to admit failure. Published on January the 10th, three days ago. Professor Ehud Kimron, head of the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at Tel Aviv University and one of the leading Israeli immunologists has written an open letter sharply criticizing the Israeli and indeed global management of the coronavirus pandemic. Now, I'm going to just read as much of this as I can, okay? And I'll try not to be too fast so that it's uh, not comprehensible. Ministry of Health, it's time to admit failure. In the end, the truth will always be revealed, and the truth about the coronavirus policy is beginning to be revealed. When the destructive concepts collapse one by one, there is nothing left but to tell the experts who led management of the pandemic, we told you so. Two years late, you finally realize that a respiratory virus cannot be defeated and that any such attempt is doomed to fail. You do not admit it. 
because you have admitted almost no mistake in the last two years, but in retrospect, it is clear that you have failed miserably in almost all of your actions, and even the media is already having a hard time covering your shame. You refuse to admit that the infection comes in waves that fade by themselves. Despite years of observations and scientific knowledge, you insisted on attributing every decline of waves solely to your actions. And so, through false propaganda, you overcame the plague. And again, you defeated it, and again, and again, and again. You refuse to admit that mass testing is ineffective despite your own contingency plans, explicitly stating so. You refuse to admit that recovery is more protective than a vaccine, despite previous knowledge and observations showing that non-recovered vaccinated people are more likely to be infected than recovered people. That's natural immunity, said, stated in a different way. You refuse to admit that the vaccinated are contagious, despite the observations. Based on this, you hope to achieve herd immunity by vaccination, and you failed in that as well. You insisted on ignoring the fact that the I'm going to skip that one and go to this. You refused to adopt the Barrington Declaration signed by more than 60,000 scientists and medical professionals or other common sense programs. You chose to ridicule, slander, distort, and discredit them. Instead of the right programs and right people, you have chosen professionals who lack relevant training. You have not set up an effective system for reporting side effects from the vaccines, and reports on side effects have even been deleted from your Facebook page. Doctors avoid linking side effects to the vaccine lest you persecute them as you did with some of their colleagues. You have ignored many reports of changes in menstrual intensity and menstrual cycle times. You hid data that allows for objective and proper research. However, from the heights of your hubris, you have also ignored the fact that in the end, the truth will be revealed. And it begins to be revealed. The truth is that you have brought the public's trust in you to an unprecedented low, and you have eroded your status as a source of authority. The truth is that you have burned hundreds of billions of shekels to no avail for publishing intimidation, for ineffective tests, for destructive lockdowns, and for disrupting the routine of life in the last two years. You have destroyed the education of our children and their future. You made children feel guilty, scared, smoke, drink, get addicted, drop out, and quarrel as school principals around the country attest. You have harmed livelihoods, the economy, human rights, mental health, and physical health. You slandered colleagues who did not surrender to you. You turned the people against each other, divided society, and polarized the discourse. You branded, without any scientific basis, people who choose not to get vaccinated as enemies of the public and as spreaders of disease. You promote, in an un- unprecedented way, a draconian policy of discrimination, denial of rights, and selection of people, including children, for their medical choice, a selection that lacks any ep- epidemiological justification. You ruined the economy, unemployment you caused, and the children whose education you destroyed, they are the surplus victims as a result of your actions only. There is currently no medical emergency, but you have been cultivating such a condition for two years now because of lust for power, budgets, and control. Yeah, so that's Professor Ehud Kimwan, Ministry of Health, head of the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at Tel Aviv University. He's not the Ministry of Health. He's addressing the Ministry of Health. It's time to admit failure. We will put that article uh, on Getter and uh, all those other little places. And uh, listen, spread that widely because that's powerful on almost every story about COVID that we've been talking about. It's relevant to those of you who've written me with serious problems and complications. And it just breaks my heart. And uh, so this is a tool. 
This is a tool that you can use. We'll post it so that you can do exactly that. All right, uh, we'll be right back right after this. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. I love the cooperation between the gifts that these men have. Ezra was a scribe. He knew the law. He knew what to say. Nehemiah was a leader, and God did a great work. Nehemiah had a vision. He prayed about it. He exerted leadership and motivated people. And then when the going got tough, he kept on going. Bert Harper and Alex McFarland, advancing through the scriptures weekday afternoons at 3 Central on American Family Radio's Exploring the Word. The purpose of government is to secure God-given or inalienable rights to man. America's premier historian, David Barton. John Dickinson, who's also a signer of the Constitution, he said, an inalienable right is a right which God gave to you and which no inferior power has a right to take away. Wall Builders Live captures the ideas of the Founding Fathers and then applies those ideas to the issues of today. Sunday morning at 1130 Central on American Family Radio. Blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffers. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. One word has proven to be debilitating in our society, the D word, discrimination. What we fail to realize is discrimination is not automatically a dirty concept. We discriminate against thieves and murderers when we send them to prison. We discriminate against sexual predators by keeping them away from children. And yes, we rightly discriminate against men when we keep them out of women's restrooms. According to Psalm 1, we have to discriminate against the counsel of the wicked in order to be blessed. Good thing God isn't debilitated by the D-word. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Hi, my name's Eric. And I'm Kendra. And we have been married a little over two years now. Honestly, I think the the most challenging part of our marriage so far, we're right in the middle of it. We're trying to have kids right now. I have a spinal cord injury, so that makes things a little more difficult. And um, I just am, am dealing with some issues with infertility. The difficulty is on my end. But it's our infertility. But it is our, yeah. Because we're right. one now. <laughs> and I, I think what's really helped us through this is keeping Jesus at the center of it all and knowing that anything that causes you to lean and depend on Jesus more is actually a blessing. Yes. It's heartening to, to know that I have someone who's, she's on my team. Tune into By Design as we explore God's true purpose and design for marriage. Just visit the podcast page at AFR.net. This is Frank Gaffney with the Secure Freedom Minute. North Korea just demonstrated a missile capability for which the United States has no counterpart. Worse yet, we have no defense against Kim Jong-un's hypersonic weapon, or for that matter, similar systems now being introduced into the Russian and Chinese arsenal. How could a communist regime so poor it can't feed its people obtain the world's most advanced missile technology? The answer is that North Korea's tyrannical government gets by, as it always has, with the help of its friends in Beijing and Moscow. And they, in turn, have benefited from help from us. 
notably the transfer of hypersonic missile-related technology to the Russians, pursuant to one of then-Secretary of State Hillary Clinton's pay-to-play schemes. There must be accountability for such dangerous misconduct and urgent steps taken to field credible in-kind deterrence to and defenses against the burgeoning hypersonic threat. This is Frank Gaffney. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. All right, Sandy Rios back with you. Well, you know, um, abortion, in spite of the horrible people who are leading the country right now, uh, has really lost gains and lost footage. And abortion clinics have been really um, eliminated from so many states. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't spout off which ones, but Missouri is one that comes to mind. Uh, Louisiana, I think, also, or maybe Mississippi. Uh, But this is an email from a a listener in uh, West Virginia, Jennifer. She's written us before, uh, and she said, I want to tell you how God answered prayers here in West Virginia. There is only one abortion clinic in our state. The pro-life organization West Virginians for Life uses a vacant lot across from that clinic to pray and demonstrate. The opportunity to purchase that lot was given to the group, then the price was $199,000. And if they weren't able, uh, able to raise, uh, yeah, if they were not able to raise those funds, a pro-abortion group was going to purchase that lot. So she said, our group, with the help of many, raised those funds, $199,000 in 30 days. Truly a miracle. God is good, and he is still in the miracle business. And uh, so this is from Jennifer. Jennifer, what a great report. And that reminds me, of course, we are working with Preborn this week uh, to try to help them uh, get money to buy for, uh, 40 ultrasounds to put in these pregnancy centers. Oh, and Dan Steiner is with us after all. He's the president of Preborn, uh, a voice for the fatherless. And the ministry of Preborn, by the way, began in 2007 by Dan and his wife, Val. And uh, that's how it all began. And since it started, they have seen over 150,000 unborn children saved from abortion. And so, Dan, good morning. Thanks for joining me. What a pleasure to be on, Sandy. Good to hear your voice again. And thank you for your advocacy for the fatherless all of these years. Well, you're very welcome. We've It's a team effort. And, I, you know, it's really all some of my best friends uh, have been. Uh, Joe Scheidler just died, what, Six months ago, Joe was a very dear friend. He was like the right. Green Beret, the pro-life movement, just very dear to me. And yet, what yesterday? Yeah. Yesterday, Jim Sadlack died. Um, of uh, oh my, Jim was the founder. I can see now. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I can't remember his ministry, but he was the arch enemy to uh, Planned Parenthood, the champion uh, uh, against all of their information and statistics. He was just a powerhouse, and he just passed away. But. Um, so we've all been working together for many, many years, and you guys are doing great work. And I should say, before you and I chat, Dan, I should be practical here and say that for those of you listening, your gift of $28 provides one woman seeking an abortion a free ultrasound and gives that mother an opportunity to choose life for her baby. I guess the point would be made it's not just the baby who's saved. It really is the mother as well from a lifetime of regret and remorse and hard-heartedness. So, Dan, just jump in here and tell me what you guys are doing right now. Well, picking up where some of these champions have left off, uh, our desire is to be Planned Parenthood's worst nightmare, specifically by taking their customers away from them. We are very aggressive in marketing for women that are seeking abortion online, 
in the uh, highest abortion cities of America, Los Angeles, New York, Houston, Dallas, Miami, the entire state of Florida, really, Washington, D.C., Chicago, every hour of every day because of listeners of the Sandy Rio Show and AFR able to help these women see the beauty of what God has created inside of them and choose life through the power of ultrasounds that we're trying to sponsor. And so it just makes a tremendous difference if a woman sees an ultrasound. If we try to shock her out of having an abortion um, without the ultrasound, maybe we're successful half the time, less actually, but it's 80% or more if we can get her in front of her baby to have that special encounter, closest encounter of the best kind, (laughs) uh, and sees that baby hears the heartbeat. Heartbeat's kind of like a smile, Sandy, if you're in Tokyo or if you're in Tupelo. Um, a smile means you're probably happy, and a heartbeat means there's life. And so this is our weapon. You know, the uh, president uh, emeritus of Planned Parenthood, Satan, functions in deception. That is a blob of tissue. That is a mass of cells. This is why 800,000, nearly a million, 800,000 babies die weekly, globally. It's the largest pandemic in human history on any hidden persecuted people group, the preborn. And uh, we are here to remedy that through compassion, uh, through the truth of the humanity of these girls' babies, and most importantly, introducing them to the pres- to the chief executive officer of preborn, which is not myself. It's the king of heaven, Jesus Christ. We share the gospel with these women, and I'm happy to report, Sandy, that uh, we've seen last year over 7,900 women give wow. their hearts to Jesus. Wow. Uh, in well, our pregnancy a... clinics all across the country. That's amazing, uh, Dan. I don't know. Um, I'm glad to have that stat, because I, I did not know that part. And I would say, just for those people listening, maybe who are new listeners, uh, the difference between people like Dan and myself, is that we're, we're not just trying to make people conform to our, our, our ideas of the way life should be done. It's, it's God's view of life uh, that we're trying to, in, in, because it's best, it's life-giving to start treasuring life. It's life-draining. It makes you a wooden, hollow person when you do not regard life. I was just, uh, did, yesterday, Dan, I played a, I didn't play it, actually. It wasn't a clip. You could see it, but there was no sound. I don't know if you saw this. It was a woman, a girl, about 18. We didn't know that. But we see a car pull up at a dumpster, and we see a woman get out and then hurl, like not gently, but hurl this bag, like throw it, like get rid of this, into this garbage dump. And hours later, uh, some people heard heard sound from the, the dumpster, and it was a, a baby she had just given birth to. So, yeah, I did you know, see that. Well, anyway, it turns out, yeah, she she just given birth at, in the bathroom floor of her parents' house, and um, we know oh. that that this culture breeds a hardness toward life, and we can't really necessarily reverse that. But isn't it amazing that still, for the most part, the women who find themselves pregnant uh, and uh, have unwanted pregnancy, shall we say, when they hear th- when they hear the heartbeat, they choose to 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 keep their babies or make sure that they don't. I'll go through an abortion. That's pretty amazing to me. Yeah, it really is. And uh, God has built women with the special privilege of being able to 
bring life into this world. And it really speaks, Sandy, to the fact that 48% of the time, women are being pressured by their mother, the grandmother of the baby, the mother of the pregnant woman, to abort. Uh, another 42% of the time, it's the husband or boyfriend or significant, whatever he might be. And so they really don't, in their heart, want to do this. They really know that it's not every case. I mean, I've went, met women that have had eight abortions and get out of my way, I'm going in for my ninth. But most of the time, they're being, there's extraneous pressure for her to have this uh, baby. You know, it's overwhelming for her. And if we can just slow her down, let her know there's help, you know, diapers and curbs and car seats and doctor visits and housing and whatever she needs to choose life, um, and then introduce her to her baby for the first time. It's a wonderful secret sauce that really is a nemesis of Planned Parenthood and the abortion juggernaut. We can stop abortions. All we need is the resources, which is why we're on the show today, to reach these women, get them into our centers, get them in talking to a nurse in our virtual clinic, and they will choose life. They just need help. They just need somebody to advocate, stand beside, be a real friend, uh, help them uh, see the reality that it's you don't have to make this decision right now and that this is the best gift that God's ever given you. It's your son or daughter. So this you know, is what we're doing. You've done it for years, Sandy. We appreciate this very much. You know, it reminds me, I thought of the scripture just now when Luke says uh, that he wants to show Theophilus a more excellent way. We are trying to show mothers uh-huh. of little babies a more excellent way. And the reason their mothers are advising them to get abortions is because their moms often have had abortions. They came through that generation of feminists, and their own hearts have grown so cold. How? Who, what grandmother wants her baby to be aborted? It's not natural, but it's the hardness of heart that is so damaging to people. That's part of it. So if you want to help to stop this trend and show them a more excellent way, you can do that by calling 877-616-2396. That's 877-616-2396. Or you can go to AFR.net, $28 provides one woman seeking an abortion a free ultrasound. So let's help preborn. It's 877-616-2396. Dan Stein, thank you so much. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.